Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Movie Nights with Bands. It's me, Radham, back again, episode four, which I'm pretty excited on. Um, today, I'm sitting with my friend Zach Keeley of the band Poeta, and I'm very excited to have Zach on, because not only is Zach an amazing musician in person, he's also the first person on the show who's not a uh, lead vocalist in a band. He plays bass, and so it's going to be interesting to get some different takes on how uh, your movie that you chose to talk about today is going to really affect you musically and writing-wise and whatnot and how, and all of that. But before we get into that, um, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Poeta. What's up? I am so thrilled to be the first non-vocalist on this podcast. We should start a trend. And let it be known, before he gave that lovely intro, he said, just a bass player. I would just like that to be put out there. Bass player awareness, man. We got to like raise it out here. The streets, bass players don't get the street cred we deserve. But yeah, so <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm Zach. Uh, I'm the bass player of Poeta. Uh, we're based out of New Jersey. Um, yeah, so I guess like the biggest thing that we're doing right now is we're doing these uh, acoustic kind of stripped down folky renditions of our album that we put out back in September of Stella Luna. And we're calling this little EP, we're calling it the Lampshade Sessions. Uh, and that's coming out pretty much every Friday for the rest of the month into March. Um, and yeah, you know, just just doing the damn thing with Poeta. And uh, yeah, here to talk about movies and here to talk about Almost Famous, which I'm thrilled about. So I'm very excited about this too. And before we do jump into talking about uh, Almost Famous, um, a little more info on Poeta. Poeta and I had the uh, fortune of meeting back in May of last year when we played some shows together. And they are an amazing band from New Jersey. They make some amazing music, and they're definitely worth checking out. But we'll get back to talking about Poeta and how amazing they are. First, we're going to jump into talking about Zach's favorite movie, and that is Almost Famous, a 2000 uh, Cameron Crowe movie. Uh, Cameron Crowe, if you don't know anything about Cameron Crowe, is a very famous music writer. He started with Rolling Stone at the age of 16 and uh, has gone on to uh, write Fast Time at Ridgemont High, Say Anything, uh, Jerry Maguire, and I, be I believe Vanilla Sky, which I think you also mentioned Vanilla Sky to me too, did you not? No, Interstellar, but I love Jerry Maguire too. Yeah, okay. Somebody mentioned Vanilla Sky. I thought that was you too. I was going to say, are you a big Cameron Crowe fan? I guess I am, but I didn't know it. But, you know, it's fun. like Jerry Maguire. I freaking love that movie, too. And it's kind of got, like, obviously the Cameron Rowe thing. It's like, I just love that vibe about it. I don't know what it is. It's almost like such a lighthearted but really, like, deep underpinning to it. I don't know how to describe it. It's weird. Well, even in Almost Famous, he does that, too. Cameron Crowe does a really good job of taking these uh, situations that are kind of dark and make them very kind of like lighthearted and also like he takes these characters and makes you want uh, hope like wish the best for them even though they're not necessarily the best characters you know um, getting back into almost famous you have uh, Patrick Fuggett who plays um, uh, I have it written down right here too William Miller who is Cameron Crowe as the movie is like autobiograph autobiographical. Um, you have Billy Crudup's Russell Hammond, and that's where I'm just going to go, where he's like, Russell's not really the greatest guy, but you're rooting for him the entire time. Yeah. I, like, I remember when I first watched that movie, and it was my mom. 
and I was like, a kid. I was really young at the time, and I don't, I don't know what it was, but there, well, I do know what it is. It's I love, I love '70s rock and roll so much, and I love the the cultural significance of it. That's all my favorite music. Those are the first bands I fell in love with that really inspired me to play. And then to have that movie when I found it, it was just, it was like perfect. Because you see this main character that's following these bands and then he goes on tour with, with a band during the 70s during the heyday. And it's like, man, that's like the dream as a kid. <laughs> and, you know, all the stuff that comes along with it, all the baggage and just like the cool stories, the parties, the girls, like that's the thing at least I dreamed of as a kid whether or not that's like a realistic way to think about things, but it was such like a romantic movie for me in that way. And it still is. I mean, it, it like brings me back to my childhood in a weird way. Yeah. It, it like to talk a little bit too, you're talking about how great the music is. I mean, give a little, uh, to give a little, um, credit to Cameron Crowe. He was, uh, he showed, he screened it for, uh, Led Zeppelin and they gave him permission to use a Led Zeppelin song for this movie. And that was the first time, yeah, and that was apparently the first time they allowed that to happen since they let him use Cashmere in, in Fast Time at Ridgemont High. No way. Yeah. So I, it's it's interesting, and I think Peter Frampton was involved in the, mo- in the, in the movie as well. Uh, I think he plays a character or something in it, but there's a couple of... Uh, I think Jimmy Fallon's just, in it, too. Jimmy Fallon's in it. There's a lot of, He's like, random agent. names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you got uh, Francis McDormand's the mom, Zoe Deschanel's his sister, Kate Hudson, uh, Anna Paquin, um, Bijou Phillips. It's like such a it's a star studded cast, and it's like it's before. Well, it's not like before they were really famous, but like Jimmy Fallon was definitely one of those where he was kind of just getting his foot in the door. I feel like in the industry, in the entertainment industry at that time, but. Like you look back back at it in retrospect now in twenty twenty three, you're like, holy shit, like this is just like an all star roster of just of actors and actresses. It's crazy. Yeah. So I'm gonna have we're gonna do this. We kinda of flipped it. You kinda of jumped in immediately to why it's your favorite movie and what about it. You know, the nostalgia and everything of it. So now that we got that, why don't you tell us a little bit about Almost Famous for anybody who's might not seen it, you know, how would you pitch it to them to make them go home and watch Almost Famous? Well, the way I pitch it to somebody, and I kind of had to do this to my wife, uh, because like our our interests on these things differ greatly. So for me, once I saw, I think it was a couple years ago, I I wanted to watch it. It was on Amazon Prime. I was like, we have to watch this movie because like I love this movie. And uh, the way I'd sell it to people is first I'd ask the question: Do you like rock and roll? Do you like seventies rock and roll? Led Zeppelin. Rolling Stones, is that like your thing? Which most people I feel like would say yes to that. And after that's affirmed, I would say, well, it's a movie about a kid that works under an alias for Rolling Stone and works underage and is sent on assignment to go tour with an up and coming band that is kind of the inspiration, that is kind of inspired by and uh, a movie context by like Led Zeppelin and these seventies great rock and roll bands and just the antics and all the semantics that happen on the road and, you know, just the chaos and the fun that happens. And, you know, it, it's just such a perfect story. And I think that, I think that should be enough to sell somebody, but, you know, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. 
<laughs> and I feel like everybody universally loves Bill Seymour Hoffman. So and it's like one of his best roles, I think. Yeah, and he's playing a real person too. Uh, uh, what's his face? What's his name? Um, uh, Lester 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 Bangs is actually a real writer for Cream Magazine and uh, you know Rolling Stone. And I thought Philip Seymour Hoffman, from what I was reading about him, did pretty well. But yeah, no, it's it's it really is. Uh, it's an interesting movie, and if you're a musician and you you know it's. It does a really good job to of showing you through the band Stillwater how they're grappling with fame and they're struggling with egos and also um, their you know their talent their egos all the the debauchery and the drugs and the partying and everything that comes with being this famous rock band in the seventies and it's that struggling and even the story that he ends up writing really kind of touches on just that and I think any any musician can really watch it and be like, wow, like, this is crazy. Like, this is this is something that uh, is inspiring, but also, like, a cautionary tale in a way. Yeah, it's almost like a, it's almost like in the curriculum of things that you should watch before you join a band in a way. Just so you know, like, what you're getting into, because no matter if you're in, I feel like, if no matter if you're in a successful project, if you're in... And it's just for a hobby, if you're really trying to grind it out and make a career out of it, you're going to come across people just like that. And it's nice to have some exposure, albeit in a movie form for, for fun. But it definitely like makes you consider things, I feel, that you wouldn't otherwise consider really rationalize if you didn't watch a movie like that. Uh, like just just the, the bus trips, the the grind of just playing every night and the the grind that it puts on your body and how that just wears you down and what that does to you mentally. Because like you look at these bands from so long ago and you see that they break up and they have these huge bombastic fights. And, you know, it, it gives real credence to a band like Rush that was able to maintain their lineup or the Rolling Stones for as long as they were able to do it because that's the lifestyle that they lived. And the fact that they could do that, travel the world nonstop, write great albums, and still do it, I feel like that gives a really good behind-the-scenes look of what it must have been like at periods for a lot of these bands. So yeah, definitely. You know, and you know, touring. You know, you've done touring. I'm sure we've done some touring. You know, as part of being in a band, and it's it's not easy. And I think, uh, especially back then, it was. I, I'm not going to say easier, but it was, I think there was just a lot more to gain in touring at that time, like going out and just playing, because it really was the only way to get the music was to go yeah. to the shows. And I think it offered, like, you know, you have uh, Kate Hudson's character, Penny Lane, you have uh, um, Anna Paquin's character, Palexia, all these these groupies and everything who go on tour with these bands. And uh, they truly, and they talk about it, that they went because they truly, I mean, they were sleeping with the guys, but they truly loved the music. And, and uh, and that's why they went on the road with him. And I think that's that's it, it shows a lot of, like, there was all this glamour and everything to it, but it also wasn't as glamorous as everyone painted it to be. Yeah, I feel like people make that mistake even today with just, like, the ruse of, of what it means to be a touring musician. And people just don't realize, like, what the reality of that is. And, it's like, I don't even know what the future of that stuff's going to be. But, you know, even back then, it's it's kind of just a crazy concept, and I lo I love I'm a so like I'm a history major. I want to be a history teacher, so I have such a history, whatever capacity it's in. I I just love it, and 
I love a movie like Almost Famous, and I always have, because it's it's just like a time capsule of a time that I wish I could have been alive. Because that's something I wish I could have been a part of, is been a musician at that point where that was the only way for you to get your music heard. Because I love meeting people. I love I love seeing people and seeing where they come from, why they come to see a band play, what they think. Like That's my favorite part about playing shows. That's my favorite part about being a musician is just the live aspect of it, just because of the people you meet. And I feel like at that time, it must have been such a more rewarding experience to go play a live show and really get people to pay attention to you and have that make a difference for you as a brand. So I, I just, I just love that time period so much. It's still like, still all my favorite bands are from that era without question. So that really kind of segues me into the next question I want to ask you. Oh my God, I'm good. You like that? You should be running this, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So obviously this movie has inspired you to become a musician. So obviously you can tell me a little bit more about that, but has it inspired what you're doing with Poeta? I'll answer the first question first because, you know, chronology, that's probably what you should do. Um, Definitely inspired me to be a musician because my parents divorced when I was about 10 and my mom uh, linked up with my stepfather now, but he, he was a musician for years. And at that point in my life, I had no exposure to music up until about 10 years old. I had no idea about anything. My first CD that I got was on an RCA boombox for my birthday. And the first CD I had was Aaron Carter, because that's what my mom thought would be a good idea to get me. So that was the first CD I had. So my uh, musical palette was not very, uh, very cultured at the time. But when my mom and my stepfather moved in together, I knew he was a, I knew he was a musician. I asked him what instrument he played. And we were in a car, I'll never forget this, we were in a car driving around Cooper River, <clears throat> which is right outside of Philly down here in, uh, in like the Cherry Hill area. And he said, I play bass. And I was like, what's bass? And we were listening to the radio. I forget what song we were listening to, but he goes, do you hear that like low sound? And the first thing I, I said was no. <laughs> and he's like, you can't hear that? And I couldn't hear what he was talking about. I was like, why would you ever want to be a bass player? You can't hear it on the radio. But, um, you know, after he moved in, I got to see what it was like to be a working musician. And he's still, without a doubt, he's the best bass player I've ever seen in my entire life. He could do everything, all of the crazy bass techniques, um, double thumbing, finger tapping, uh, pop slap like a boss. Like He learned a lot of his skill set around watching Victor Wooten on VHS tapes. And he could do everything that he could do. And it's just like incredible. And fun fact about that, to segue into another thing, I'm taking him to go see Victor Wooten on Friday for the first time. So that's going to be like a, a really cool, like coming full circle moment for the both of us. Um, but when he moved in is when I first started to get interested in music because I had a box of CDs that he brought to the house and I remember listening to Led Zeppelin. It was Stairway to Heaven was the first song that I consciously remember, like emotionally doing something to me. And how cliche is that? Of course, it's Stairway to Heaven. But it was like that that last part of the song, like the solo area, 
I remember running out to the kitchen and saying, have you ever heard Stairway to Heaven? This is insane. And he's like, yeah. And it was when all of his band members were over at the house having a, having like a talk. They were having coffee in the kitchen. And after that moment on, I like just did a deep dive on music. And then like months later, uh, my mom put on Almost Famous. And that was right at the time where I was really doing my first deep dives on all these great 70s bands, 60s bands, like Pink Floyd, uh, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. Those were some of like the first bands that really did it for me. So yeah, it, it really helped inspire me to be a musician, but it also, it just added to the, the fuel to the fire that was already going on. So it just really helped propel me to continue doing it. Um, in terms of like using it now with Poeta, I wouldn't say I use like use anything specifically from it, but it it's what inspires me to keep doing it, you know, because like we've all played shit shows, had shit opportunities, and like really had to suck shit for a while. And I watch a movie like that. If I'm at a low point as a musician, we're all artists. Where ebbs and flows of of artists are always up and down like crazy. That's a movie that will always inspire me to get up, pick up my instrument or do something productive when it comes to music and the art of music. So that's how I use it. It's, it's an inspiration tool for sure. That's awesome. And I, you explained it so well. And I love, you know, talking about your mom, your stepdad and everybody, you know, and bringing it to being a musician, being in Poeta and doing everything that you're doing. I think that's amazing. And I, it's, it's, it's one of the things I, I think the best thing about movies and, music for that matter too is that the way they can inspire people inspire you to be a musician you to want to pick up bass and become a bassist and uh you know start playing in poeta which is like not necessarily the same type of band that you know you were watching and almost famous or grew up listening to but yet you're still i mean you know we'll all call it pop punk or whatever we want to call it but at the root of it all it's still rock bass and without these bands like Zeppelin or, you know, go back into the, the 70, heyday, uh, 70s heyday of rock, you know, without that, without them doing that, would we be here doing this? So I think that's really, really quite amazing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I guess the next real question that you kind of set me up for is, uh, who's your favorite 70s rock band? This changes a lot. <laughs> I've been, I've gone through a lot of change in my life in the past two to three years. And I think just like that, emotion of of being in that situation and how it's changed me i love deep big pieces of music and pink floyd's obviously one of those bands they're an album band so everything you listen to you got to listen to it in its entirety so for them i would say that they're, they're probably at the top for me especially the more i just learn about their writing process the more i learn about uh, the more I learn about the dynamics of that band, and especially with the vitriol between Roger Waters and David Gilmore, that fascinates me too. And just how they were able to rise above all of that and, and consolidate the energy into something that's like out of this world for so many pieces of music that they wrote together. I find that to be incredible. So Pink Floyd's, yeah, Pink Floyd's the band for me from that era for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I don't even. I'm trying to think what '70s rock bands, because like I I know like '70s rock, but it's just like so like 
I'm trying to think. Like, I love, like, Jackson Brown, but I'm also, like, was he also in the 70s, you know? Like, what era were these people? Um, Jackson Brown I loved. Uh, what Love, I still love Jackson Brown. Um, <laughs> he pissed Eagles, me off one day. Uh, I stopped. He pissed me <laughs> off, but I never listened to him again. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, like it's it's just so different than today. I mean, I mean, you listen to a lot of like Jackson Brown, you know, the loadout. I mean, that song in general. I mean, that's the biggest, the greatest love letter to touring, if you ask me. You know, talking about the roadies and come get my piano, and I think that's a lot of what Almost Famous did was it wrote a true love letter. As much as it was autobiographical for Cameron Crowe, uh, he wrote this love letter to the music that he loved in the 1970s and these rock bands and, like, you know, what they became and who they I were. I think it's just, it's, I, it must be really hard to capture that because there really hasn't been that many attempts to, to do something like that. Is that, hi, is that mom? <laughs> that is indeed. <laughs> Taurus? <laughs> yeah, so I I feel like it must be really difficult for for directors or producers to be able to want to tackle that just because it's it must be really difficult to just capture what Cameron Crowe was able to capture capture in that movie because it's just something kind of unexplainable about it because he it doesn't feel like he left any meat on the bone with it it kind of scratched every itch that I wanted out of a movie like that, because the only other comparison, even though it's not nearly on the same level, but I do have an affinity for it is like Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg, which is a totally underrated movie in my opinion. <laughs> and the music's actually pretty good. Well, it's like, it's like the story of like Judas Priest, isn't it? Not? It might be. I think it is. I think he's supposed to be like Judas Priest or something. Like, like, like inspired, not like the actual story. I, yeah, for sure, for sure. I can see Judas Priest is correct. That actually, I think that does make sense. I never would have known that though. It's well, it's like interesting too because like the other one that I looked up that it could have actually been too was Henry Rollins in Black Flag because that's how he got into Black Flag. Is the guy just said, "Hey, I got to get out of here and hand him the mic." <laughs> yeah. Well, the only difference is that the music style is just so different. Yeah. I feel like everything about the band and Rockstar. What what's their name? Uh, shit. I was just talking about this with Kevin the other day. <laughs> we were we were at practice and we were singing the song from the movie. I forget what it's called because it's on the radio once in a while. Like it's so bizarre. Uh, what's their name? I forget the band's name, but I feel like Henry Rollins loathes that type of band. Oh, I'm sure. Well, like in the end, especially too. They're just he's just in the. Like, at the end of Rockstar, when he's in the uh, coffee house, and he's just literally playing Freshman by the Verve fight. <laughs> oh, my God, that's crazy. I was doing a, I did a historiography on Nirvana uh, for, for school last semester. And uh, that, when I was doing it, I picked it because it was such a short amount of time that I could do it within a paper, like in, in, a, in a readable paper, instead of like picking a specific timeline for something. And something I realized about, I was like, they could totally do a movie on the four years that they were on the top. And I would love it if somebody could take that. Like they've done the documentaries and stuff like that, which are okay. But I would love 
to see like a movie about that. I think that would be so sick because of the grunge movement by itself. It's interesting you bring that up because I was reading recently, which I don't remember why it popped up or how it got even like advertised to me. But Courtney Love had brought up again um, that she got apparently like fired from uh, Fight Club. Like she was supposed to play Marla Singer, which went to uh, Helen Bottom Carter. Carter, excuse me. And uh, apparently, now David Fitchner and uh, Ed Norton, no one's really like confirmed this, and most people say she was never actually hired. But from what Courtney Love is saying, she was hired and then fired because Brad Pitt was trying to actually buy the rights to make a biopic on Kurt Cobain. No way. And he, she kept telling him no, and they got into a fight. And then she tells everybody now. Basically, fuck Brad Pitt. He got me fired from Fight Club because I wouldn't sell him the rights to the Kurt Cobain biopic. Oh my god, I'd fight her too then. Fight him. And apparently, apparently, you're talking. You know, Fight Club was like '97, so you're talking almost twenty. You know, like twenty years later, like they're still fighting about it. Yeah, because like talking about like the '70s thing, especially with like almost famous grunge music, really does that for me too. It's '70s music and grunge for me. Those are the things that like speak to my soul, but they could totally do a movie on that just because it's such a short amount of time and Cameron Crowe should do it. <laughs> he really should. I mean, Cameron Crowe should do it and Dave, Dave Grohl should be involved in doing it. I mean, he does the movie thing. He's like, a, he's like an accredited producer director now. So why not? I mean, he, he did, he made, did you watch that Foo Fighters movie studio 666? No, dude, I'm still like, even the Foo Fighters are one of my favorite bands, and I just can't do it right now. I I will at some point, but it's just sucks that he had to die right around the time that came out. Kills me. But I heard it's actually pretty good. It's pretty good. It's 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 a funny movie. It really is. Like, uh, it's you know it's 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 not like the most well done movie. You could you know it's it's, it's a just bunch a of fun musicians, movie. It's a bunch of, yeah, it's a bunch of musicians kind of making fun of themselves the entire time. And it's, I, I, I just love Dave Grohl. Like, anything Dave Grohl does is like chef's kiss gold to me. So I watched it and it, it's so good. English teacher back when I was in high school and he hated Dave Grohl. I'm like, how? Like, how could you, he goes, he's inauthentic or unauthentic. He's one of the most authentic human beings I think I've ever seen in my life. Exactly. Dude, all all you have to know about that man's authenticity is when he played with Paul McCartney at that uh, what was it that Hurricane Relief concert I think it was at MSG like ten years ago. I think I, I it was some like benefit concert, but he went up and he that's when they did like the Nirvana thing, where Chris Novoselic was on bass and Paul McCartney was playing, I think, or I could be completely making that up. I know he played with Paul McCartney though. That's all I know. Yeah. And he was like, he was like a pig and shit, dude. He was having a blast. And, like, you look back to, like, back in, like, the 90s. I think it was, I don't know if it was Foo Fighters. It might have been Foo Fighters. I don't know. He was, I don't know if it was, like, no, it was. It was Foo Fighters Day. So, like, late 90s. It was on, like, Conan or something. And uh, Conan's, like, asked him, he goes, what, when, like, Nirvana got famous, like, and big. Like, what'd you spend your money on? Like, did you go buy drugs and all this? And that? he goes, nah. He goes, Wow. I can buy like a legit grill now. And I was like, that's like the most authentic thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, he's like, nah, I'm not going to spend it on drugs and girls. He goes, I'm going to buy a grill that I can grill like 15 steaks on. Honestly, that's the dream. 
to be completely honest with you. And I just made steak tonight, so that's beautiful. Um, dude, I I feel like it's just such an untapped thing. You can do so much great stuff with all of these bands. Like, imagine, imagine like a Cameron Crowe film doing like the Yardbirds and capturing that. Like, it was only two years. We're cream. Doing cream would, be, cream would be sick. Yeah, that and that's something like Cameron Crowe, too. I mean, that was like right around his, that was a little before his time. But like, still, that was, you know, Clapton was like that big 70s guy and everything, you know. And uh, I, I think I, I, I totally get where you're going because like it's, it's like this meteoric thing. Like even the Beatles, they weren't around that long. You know, it was just like meteoric rise and then pff, gone, you know. And uh, another movie that actually someone I'm not going to say who because it's not out yet, but I'm going to be talking with another person uh, about that thing you do, which is uh, Tom Hanks movie from the 90s and like really kind of touches on what we're talking about uh, very much like one hit wonder band this meteoric rise within the course of a year yep. then their ultimate demise in, in within like that same time frame. And uh, it's so interesting like it's so interesting to watch and even if you watch almost famous when you're falling around Stillwater, like you're literally watching this band this like meteoric rise and the only thing that's like hurting them is them constantly kicking themselves in the shin you know and, and cameron crow uh patrick fuggett's character fugit fuggett fugit i'm gonna go with fuggett i'm sticking with fuggett because it sounds funny i i'm definitely wrong but i'm going with fuggett uh, so, fuck it, uh, go his, fuck it, I'm going with fuck it. And, uh, <laughs> so his character, and he's just like writing the truth and everything he sees, and that's what he sends into Rolling Stone. And I think that one is authentic. So if you're trying to get the authenticity, and two, it's it's what most bands and people would love to see and hear about. It's that, like, that, I mean, that's the thing that we all find it interesting, I feel like, because it's, I feel like bands of that era too, and what they do such a great job at capturing is like, especially compared to today, artists back then were almost like those like folklore characters, in my opinion. And even when they're doing, specifically, I think he does, he, he, he touches on this is when they're at the hotel. I think it's in New York, they're at like the Chelsea Hotel or something like that. And they're talking about like like trading groupies to other bands like Humble Pie and stuff like that. And they're doing the name drop of like, oh, Clapton said this and this and this, like and such. And I think that captures of like, even in that context, the band behind the scenes like that still looks at the contemporary bands that they're associated with as like being larger than life. And to see that that backroom discussion stuff, like that's it's just so cool. And I don't know why we come back to it. I don't know why people, are, including myself, are like so glued to that kind of thing. But it just it draws you in. I think that that was another thing that that movie really did for me was it really touched on like the just the folklore of these rock and roll superstars from back in the day. I'm like, this is so sick. Yeah, and like you, you nail on the head too. Like I remember, I was watching very recently on uh, Amazon Prime. They have a very good documentary on Randy Rhodes. Um, oh, Quiet Riot, really? Ozzy, yeah, very good. Quite you know, Quiet Riot, Ozzy Osbourne, and they were talking. Yeah. About, you know, Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen, Zach Wild. Uh, I'm sure there's many other great names, but they were these guitar heroes, 
you know and they were like people like you went to see them play these solos you went to see eddie van halen shred you went to see randy rhodes play these this insane solo uh zach wild same deal and you know you don't have that really anymore like there's i and i know most people are gonna be like oh well polypia or all oh, jason richardson or it's like different. whoever they're talking they're like obviously but it's not it's not the same like it's not like randy rhodes uh eddie van halen zach wild like those are household names if you didn't listen to their music. Yeah, that's that's the difference, I think, is that those, like Polyphia with Tim Henson, you got Tosa Nabasi too. Uh, those guys, they're they're like guitar players, guitar players. I don't see many non-musicians that are like, yeah, like I could listen to that. And it's kind of hard for, it's kind of even hard for a musician to listen to it because it is so technical and complicated. It requires you to think so hard about what's going on to appreciate it. Like, that's what's so great and what I love about those bands from back in the day is specifically the contemporary popular bands was the effort that they, well, not even an effort because I don't even think they knew what they were doing half the time is having melody and making really complicated shit musical and interesting for people that don't know what they're listening to go, oh shit, that's dope as hell. Most non-musician people will think the, like the eruption solo is the greatest thing ever. Like people circles around that now in the guitar community but at the time that was so groundbreaking because it was such a technical feat while also being accessible to non-musicians all over the world i think that's so important with those with that group of people well it's like crazy train you look at the lead to crazy train by ozzy osbourne i mean they're 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 very technical but like they're also i mean anyone can hum that you know you hear it you know crazy train but you can hum it you know and and that's that's what I think made it so amazing was that for as technical as it was, for as groundbreaking as it was, it was still something people could grasp onto and understand and comprehend without understanding music, like you were saying. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things in music, even now, is seeing people that can make complicated or like stuff that'll appease both sides of the aisle. Uh, I got into a huge John Mayer kick because of that. I became a huge fan of him for that reason because. I used to think of him as like just the, the stereotypical pop guy. And then I made like a conscious effort to really like study guitar, like within the past decade. And I kept coming across his name and I always thought he was like, your body is a wonderland guy. And then I listened to his other music and I realized I was like, oh, this guy can actually play guitar. It's pretty cool. And that opened up like a whole different perspective of a musician for me of just people that are able to capture both attentions of, of two very completely different people that are listening because like as musicians we always listen to music in a critical way and that's one of the things i actually hate about being a musician is i can't listen to music just without critiquing it you know and able to do that temporary pop music i get really excited when i hear something a little bit more nuanced by something that's in the top billboard charts because it's like wow now that's a gift it's not, I, I'm not really wowed by people that can sell millions and billions of records and make millions of dollars. I'm wowed by people that can make an emotional impact on people that are able to cater to both kinds of listeners. That's the thing that really gets me going. And you can really say the same thing about movies. Movies, the same deal. You know, you watch a, you watch a movie, you want to leave the movie theater and you want to find something in that movie that you relate to or something in that movie that made you feel a way that you want to go and watch it again. 
and music is the exact same way. So you can really bring the two together in that respect because music, you want someone to come listen to your song again. You know, whether it's this driving bass riff underneath, whether it's this rip-roaring solo, whether it's the drums that are just so groovy and really get you moving, or it's just this catchy line in the chorus. Whatever it is, it's it's something that's going to bring people back. And movies are the same way. You know, Almost Famous. You'll go back and watch Almost Famous again because of the nostalgia you said that it gave you earlier. You know, you feel like you're 10 years old again watching it with your mom or something. You know, and I think... Uh, I think that's the most fantastic thing about the art of movies and music and how they really do go hand in hand. And to hear you who are a musician, me who's a musician, who are so inspired by movies to go and be musicians, I think it's amazing. Yeah, I agree, man. It's it's cool even just thinking about the times when I first started watching movies and when that first came across, like just thinking about that. That's such a cool thing to just come back to because it was just, it feels like yesterday. Like here I am sitting on my chair as an old man right now. Like you know, I remember back in the day when I watched almost famous with my mom, my mom's pretty dope. By the way, I got to see Godsmack and Rob Zombie with her around the same time. She took me to that show. I don't know which is cooler. Her showing me almost famous or taking me to those shows. <laughs> yeah. My mom, who you saw momentarily ago did not do that, but she did her just <laughs> Bayside at a young age. So, she 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 is vindicated for that. That's great. Yeah. So I, I can't I can't complain too much. <laughs> yeah. I like I said, man. Like it, that timeline is just something I romanticize, and I will always continue to romanticize that time period. It uh, it's just such a great movie, man. Like I've watched it a hundred times, and I still haven't gotten tired of it. It's just like one of the. It's almost like you know how like when you're watching. T, remember back in the day when TBS was a channel. You'd see that they'd have Forrest Gump on. No matter what period of that movie on TBS, you were going to watch Forrest Gump. That's what Almost Famous is. That's so funny you said that because when I was talking with Henry from Keep Flying, he said the exact same thing. He goes, so he did Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and he said, I've seen this movie a thousand times. I can quote it without even looking at the movie. And if it's on TNT or like... Yeah. USA, like, my day's shot, I'm going to watch it for the millionth time and be pissed off that they cut out my favorite line or that they, you know, put a commercial yep. here where they shouldn't have. And it's, it's really funny to hear you say That's that. like, that, that is the litmus test for how good a movie is or how good a movie is or how important it is to you. Will you just stop whatever you're doing if it's on cable television and it has commercials in it? Will you just stop whatever you're doing and just watch it? Yes, <laughs> I will. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So... I'm going to uh, reel this in, and we're going to, because we I think we can be going for hours. I think really what it is is you're going to have to keep, uh, tell me your second favorite movie, and we'll get you back on here another time to continue talking. And I want you to guess what it might be, because you're not going to get Ooh, it. Ooh, so your second favorite movie, is it is it the same wheelhouse, or I'm trying to think what I know about you. I'm also trying to think if you already told me, because you did tell me a couple different movies when we decided we were doing this. I think I did tell you this. I think I, think I did. Is it... Is it Saving Private Ryan? Wow, shit, that is a pretty good one. But no, it's Interstellar. Ah, shit, that was the other one he told yeah. me. Like, he told me too. But the problem is, I know there's going to be other people that say Interstellar. That's the problem. I think the thing with Interstellar too is, I mean, you need like four podcasts just to dissect the plot of that movie, let alone what it means to you. Yeah, that, dude, we'll definitely have to do this again with that because 
I got a good story about the first time I watched that. <laughs> Hell yeah. So um, I'm going to give you, before we uh, kind of uh, sign off here, I want you to just kind of give me a little update on everything that, you know, is coming up with Poeta over the next uh, couple months to a year. Um, you know, any new music, any big show announcements coming up. This will be out, you know, within the next couple weeks or so. So um, for everybody listening, as I always say, because I'm probably wrong on when these dates are dropping, but I like to guesstimate and I like to always overshoot it. Uh, it's new to you. It's not new to me or Zach. So, uh, it's, but um, what what is Poeta bringing to the table here coming up? All right, so we got quite a bit coming up. Um, we have a new lineup now that George has left and has gone down to Nashville. We have officially brought on Caleb Vermolin from Inventure, um, who is in Inventure with John Dalton, who's now our additional guitar player. Uh, since then, we've been busy writing like crazy. Uh, so we're working on album number three right now. We are going to be releasing a couple singles in the next couple months, most likely. Um, but in the short term, we're doing the Lampshade Sessions thing that I talked about earlier. And that's going to be a seven-song EP that comes out probably, is it the first week of March? First Friday of March? March 3rd, I believe. Uh, and there's going to be music videos that accompany essentially every song on that uh, on that album. So that's going to be awesome. Um, we have some great shows coming up. We're playing Launch Festival in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in mid-April. Uh, Killswitch Engage is going to be there. So that's going to be sick. And Clutch. Clutch and Killswitch Engage. Never thought I'd ever hear that lineup together. But here here we are. <laughs> and we're we're going to be doing that as 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 of right now we haven't figured out when exactly we're going to play but we we have availability throughout the entire weekend so we can be playing any time between the 13th and the 16th of April for that festival um and yeah we're just trying to play as many shows as possible in between that while releasing all this new music it's been we're in a groove right now like it feels really nice uh like you know how it is when when writing is easy and that's what it's been for the past couple months and it's been like super fun anytime we get a room together lately it's just it's like magic <laughs> uh the energy is really good so anticipate even after this comes out that there's going to be new things that weren't even on my mind that that we should expect from us as a group so well, hearing that you guys want to play and keep playing shows when we get off the air, maybe you and I should talk a little bit about doing some yes. uh, Poeta What Makes Sense shows here, you know, show, That's what uh, I'm talking about. show some New Jersey, New York love that we don't just hate each other and bitch about whose pizza's better and whose drivers are worse. <laughs> we actually can like each other, so. <laughs> I mean, we're still going to do it, but yeah, we can still. Yeah, but play. we can still do it and be friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for talking about Almost Famous and Cameron Crowe with me. And even more than that, thank you for going down this nostalgia of 70s rock music with me. And it was it was really fun. Hell yeah, dude. Anytime, man. We'll have to do this again sometime. Definitely. All right. I'll see you later, my man.